0: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host. And we have a great uh, tribute this evening to a a good friend, uh, Calvin Parker from the Pascagoula incident. Uh, We're going to be talking about him and then we'll go into other things about uh, with the guests I have tonight. That's Philip Mantle and Dr. Irina Scott. Uh, They have published a book. Uh, Calvin has written a forward to it, of course, but it's called Beyond a Reasonable Doubt. And that's about the Pascagoula incident. More witnesses had come forward. It's pretty amazing because a lot of times, you know, people will uh, say to me, why do you talk about these old cases? Well, when the old cases get talked about, a lot of times it it means that uh, people are hearing it possibly for the first time. And they said, oh, yeah, but my uncle said something about that happened then or whatever. So it's really good. I, I like rehashing the old cases, especially when they're as incredible as it is uh you know, the Pascagoula incident was an amazing one. So, yeah, we will miss Calvin. Uh, he was such a great guy and what a great sense of humor. And the blog this week is called In Memory of Calvin Parker. That's by Charles Lear. He did some research and it kind of details out the uh, the Pascagoula incident, what happened during all that, along with, uh, you know, how not just Calvin Parker, but Charles Hickson, reacted uh the story is there it's on our website podcast ufo.com without further ado we're bringing in our guests uh Dr. Irina Scott and Philip Mano welcome
1: Yeah good evening Martin
0: So uh yes we're we're paying tribute to a wonderful man and uh we all got to know and uh it's uh it's really sad we lost uh Calvin back in, uh on the 24th of August I believe right
1: Yeah absolutely yes
0: Yeah so, uh, Philippa, your connection with Calvin—I I was a little bit instrumental in that, and um, I, I well, was so know, happy. No,
1: no, no! You—you—you've been far too modest, Martin. You were instrumental, not partially. I mean, I'd—I'd uh, I'd been searching for Calvin Parker for about three months. Um, I, I thought, well, obviously, I'll start in Mississippi. And I spoke to a few people there and they had no idea what I was talking about, Martin. You know, they, they sent me some links that if they just Googled it, you know, I could have done that myself. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not after information about what happened to him. I'm after the man himself. Uh, And I wasn't entirely sure if he was still alive, although I'd not been able to find any information, uh, to the latter, but, um, So I put the feelers out and one of those feelers reached your inbox, Martin, and you said, oh, you know, I happened to interview him a few years ago and uh, you you put us in touch. And I remember the first phone call I had with Calvin. He was very nice, very polite, didn't say an awful lot, you know. (laughs) And um, what I didn't know, because I had literally rang him for an interview I'd got the rights to republish Charles Hixson's book that he wrote with William Mendez back in 1983. And I thought, just to bring it up today, it'd be nice to get an interview with Calvin if I could. And um, what I didn't know, it just a few weeks before I spoke to him, he'd been to uh, a, a funeral of a friend. And as he's coming out of the place, he, he wrote, I think it was in like a, you know, and he wrote his name in the book of condolences And the people coming behind him saw his name, and then they started to wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Calvin didn't like that in the first place. He thought it was bad manners, disrespectful. And, of course, his wife, (laughs) Waynet, she wasn't happy with him. But in mind, she'd been with him from the, the very beginning, and she said to him, why don't you write a damn book about this and everybody will know the story, you know, Mm. And he said, yes, darling, of course I will. You know, no no intention of writing anything, Martin, you know. <laughs> and then I turned up. And I think it was on the second occasion I spoke to him. He said, well, I've started writing a book, Philip. So I then sent him a contract, you know, a sample. And uh, he agreed eventually to do it on one condition, and that was, that when he wrote his book, there would be no changes to it. I mean, I wasn't allowed to change a thing. Not did I want to, because he wanted, because I said to him, the only thing you can control, Calvin, is what you write. You know, he, he, he complained rightly about the way the media had treated them and so on and so forth. Mm. This is not the media, this is you. So we agreed, and um, and off we went. We published the book, and... Um, Askagula, the closest encounter. And much to our amazement, um, Martin, it took off. Yeah. And Calvin was, was treated with respect. Uh, there was nobody laughing this time, unlike previously in 1973. And we became very close. We would speak at least once a week, you know, usually on Skype, mm-hmm. uh, with emails in between. And... Um, he was used to come to the UK in 2019, but that's when his illness first started.
0: He, uh, couldn't,
1: he couldn't make it. And I think yeah. even then, uh, you know, looking back, Calvin knew there was something, you know, more serious. And because uh, he kept talking about, we've all got our own expiration date, you know, sell-by date. You know, he said that several times. I think I heard but- him say that. To
0: me as well. He said something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But he was still Calvin. You know, yeah. he'd, have, he'd have good days and bad days. He was still funny. You know, um, still a man of his word. You know, yeah. a, a very honorable man. Yes. And, and, of course, Waynette would be in the background and she join in as well. So we'd have, we'd have, you know, laughter and jokes between the three of us. And, you know, he got better for a while. He had treatment and so on. It kind of stabilized him. But then, you know, the, kid, the the cancer was there, and there was there was no way of, of getting rid of it. So it wasn't a question of uh, if it would pass; it would. It was just a question of when. Right. Well, we were all hoping he'd make it to this October, you know, for the fiftieth anniversary. But yeah. uh, sadly, he didn't. And I, I spoke to him on the phone the week before he died because he was no longer able to use Skype or email. And I told him how. how how much respected he he was. I told him I loved him because he, right. he he reminded me very much of my, my own brother, who I lost uh, some years ago. Mm. Calvin and him had similar characteristics, you know, and mm. uh, and the same kind of sense of humour. I, I remember one year, for example, Calvin sent me some photographs. Tr- they had a storm and there was a tree come through their, their, their roof on the house. And he says, "My next door neighbour will pay for it." Said, why, why would your next door neighbour pay for it? He said, "Well, it's his tree." <laughs> he, said, he said, "I've cut all my trees down, so 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 uh, this wouldn't happen." And, uh, lo- and lo and behold, his next door neighbour did pay for it. You know, and um, so it was just funny. It was just funny, and uh, it, it was it was that you know. He, 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 we even laughed when we last spoke because I said you're not allowed to die. And he says, why is that? I said, because Wayne's not giving you permission.
2: Yeah. So, so,
1: yeah. so as poorly as he was, he, he was he was still smiling and, and, and laughing, you know. Mm. And um, I said when he when he died, they wanted a private memorial service. It was only a small place, so Wayne asked me not to say anything until it was over and done with. Yeah. So he didn't want strangers turning up. Fair yeah. enough. But I sent some flowers and although I signed it on behalf of myself and my wife, I also added a line that was all from the UFO community around the world, you know, yeah, um, because he had so many, so he took so many people and he didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. He he was, uh,
0: I, I had the opportunity to uh, spend time with him in September. I think it was 2019. It was prior to COVID the last, uh, when he was in Phoenix at the, uh, I got him hooked up to that conference. Um, well, I should say they reached out to me and I connected uh, so he could be out there. And I spent several nights out to dinner with uh, Calvin and Waynette. And, you know, and as, by the way, when he was talking in front of that big audience, he had people in tears. He was so yeah. hilarious. Yeah. He was really funny um, when he talks about. How he would he would have dated one of the aliens if you saw her in a bar, <laughs> yep. you know that type yep. of thing. But yep. anyway, uh, he uh, he's a sophisticated man. A lot of people because I don't know the southern accent, uh, but he is he was quite a man. I mean, he was building infrastructures for airports around the country. His company was. I mean, uh, people don't understand that. You know, he wasn't just. a... Uh, a simple country boy this he was a very hard worker and did a lot of uh, amazing things you know absolutely. Uh,
1: absolutely you might not might not have had any great formal education but he was an intelligent man nonetheless right and he, he, he tried to explain calculus to me he was calculus and huh. i had to look it up to remember what the hell it was you know i had no <laughs> idea and uh, <laughs> you know we laughed about that and um you know it could build anything could fix anything, you yeah. know. And he would spend hours. He, he had a riverboat, and he spent hours fiddling with the riverboat. And this will make you laugh. And um, he, he before I met him, he had open heart surgery, and in his chest they put this kind of wire mesh to, to you know to help with the wound and all that kind of thing. So he, he was with a friend, <laughs> he was with a friend one day working on his houseboat, <laughs> and he fell in the river. And, of course, with this mesh, he went straight down and there was just his feet sticking out of the oh water. Oh, my God. And his friend couldn't do anything but laugh, you know. Oh, jeez. Instead of getting on one of his legs and trying to pull him out, all he could do was laugh. And then... That is so funny. He told me when they were out on the river, him and Wayne fishing. fishing, um, one day they got an alligator jump on the boat. And he said, you don't shoot it, Philip. you just get your rod and you hit it with the butt of your rod and it on the nose and it way it goes he says but i leave all the snakes to Wayne." <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, so, so he was all right wrestling with an alligator but he leave the snakes to his wife you know i was so funny and I, I tried to explain to him you know we don't have anything like that here we don't have anything that i said i think the most dangerous thing we have in britain is a wasp you know <laughs> Wasps and bee stings probably hurt more people every year than any. We don't have anything that will that will eat you, you know, or, or poison you. And he, yeah. he just shook his head. You know, but he what? You were right, Martin. He wasn't some simple country bumpkin. Yeah. You know, yes. He might not be sophisticated in in his language and things of that nature, but he certainly wasn't stupid by a long shot. Not at all. Right. Now, somewhere, he had sent
0: me a picture of that houseboat, and I was just looking for it, and I can't seem to find it, unfortunately.
1: That was a house mansion.
0: That oh, thing I was, was
1: he, huge. I, I'm, he kept saying to me, I'm working on my boat, and I'm thinking a little boat, some, yeah. you know, well, he a had little on yeah. or, a, or a little motorboat. And then he sent me a photographic <laughs> photograph of it, and it, it was huge. But before he died, Calvin sold his house and his boat and everything. Uh, and I, I yeah. want to I, I sh- just want to tell you this little story about some really nice people. There's a there's a gentleman that's featured in our book. I'm not going to mention his name. He, he was a witness to some events. I hadn't heard from him in a while, and he'd met Calvin, you know, and he phoned me up completely out of the blue, Martin. And he said, "I've I've heard that Calvin sold his house and his boat. So I got some, you know." He says. Um, can you tell him for me? I've come into some money. And if he wants his boat back, I'll buy it for him. Oh my God. Isn't and that's something. I didn't have the heart to tell this guy to begin with that, that you know, he was he was he was dying. Yeah. I, I told him eventually, but this gentleman just came out of the blue. I haven't spoke to him for you know two or three years at least. And I think he met Calvin twice and he said you know i want that's why he was contacting me, not to find out about calvin just to tell calvin he'd buy his boat back for him if he wanted it you know
0: that's amazing
1: and, and i thought wow man you know even in the darkest of hours when when you know people are going to die and something like this happens it gives you it it, it, it you know it, it it was very you know i felt moved by it and i it wasn't me that was offering this you know yeah. it shows you what good people are out there it really does
0: Yes, yes, and uh, that, that's such a wonderful story. Now, uh, Dr. Arena Scott, we haven't heard much from you. It's because we've been doing all the talking. <laughs> um, had, were you able to actually meet up with Calvin?
2: No, I had spoken to him before, but I hadn't met him.
0: But you are, you are uh, instrumental in doing a lot of uh, the work on this, uh, this latest book, but you spoke to him on the phone uh, or Skype or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't know how close you were to him, how you had connected with him, how how all that was. Or you were you're basically doing more of the research part of uh, of the aspect of the latest book that came out and others?
2: Yeah, I was interviewing the other witnesses and the people that were affected by it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I want to talk all about that. As well, um, so Philip, uh, as we, as we move on without Calvin, um, I do remember that he had told me that there were some movie
1: rights. Do you think that will ever come about? Well, you know, I, ca- I can't say anything, but all I can say is that, um, we did have a producer, soap director interested,
0: uh-huh.
1: and um, the only reason. I'm not going to mention his name, but the gentleman himself knows the UFO subject inside out. He had his own encounter as a young man, hmm. and I thought when we're speaking to him when he said that, I thought bingo, we're in. Yeah. The only thing was he was finishing a project then with um, uh, with a well-known. I won't, I won't give anything. A well-known Hollywood actor, you know. And so he just didn't have the time, but he but he kept in touch. And um I let him know that Calvin had passed away. And he said, as soon as the, the you know the, the the Hollywood writers strike is is over with, he now has the time, and hopefully something will come of it. I won't say any more than that because there's nothing confirmed, but you know, it looks like the Hollywood writers strike has give has freed up his time, so to speak, you know, and um Every now and again, when Irene and I have been doing something or we've we've located something, I send out some little email lists. I've always kept this gentleman informed. So he knew that the case wasn't dead. You know, it's yeah. it's been ever-evolving. And we have a um, full-length feature film script written by two professional writers, you know, not, not by UFO researchers, we also have a four-part drama series written again by a, a professional so both options are available and we you know we'll have to wait and see that's all i can say once the writers strike is over then um i think we might start talking and hopefully you know we'll get the green light but you never know you never know
0: i've always listed this case as what i what i consider one of the you know the top five um, and the reason, one of the reasons that makes this case so credible, in my opinion, was the hidden, uh, recording that was being done in the police station. Now, one of the things that I often do here, well, a couple of things while I'm in the midst of this, first of all, this is pre-recorded because Philip, um, is in, um, London, England, I mean, and, uh, Secondly, that I'm going to be in the chat room while this is playing live, and Irina's maybe in the chat room as well. Where I was going is what I often forget is that there are a lot of new people right now that are listening to this show and listening and paying attention to the UFO topic that have never done that before. So they have no clue of what we're talking about. (laughs) So uh, I'd like to go. I don't know if... um, Either one of you, Irina, if you want to go into the incident or or Philip, but I really think that we should do it some type of a nutshell for the person who's hearing about this for the very first time.
1: Yeah, well, it, Calvin actually lived near Laurel in Mississippi, which was about 200 miles away from Pascagoula. He just got engaged to Waynet, and he got his life planned, you know, getting married in November, got a new car, going to get a house, children, grandchildren, you know, But when it said, Look, you're working all the hours, God sends, what can't you get a nine to five job so I can see more of you? So it was Calvin's father said, Why don't you ring Charlie Hickson? He's a foreman in the shipyards. He might be able to get you a job. So Calvin did. Charlie said, Yeah, we've got a vacancy, no problem. Got him a job. So the idea was that Calvin would stay with Charlie Monday to Friday, pay him some board and lodgings. That's actually that photograph is actually in the shipyard. So October the 11th, 1973, was Calvin's first day at work in the shipyard as a welder. You know, he liked working hard, he liked manual work, he liked using his hands. He was almost 19, Charlie 42. The driving home that night, Calvin's driving, brand new car. And one thing that both gentlemen enjoyed was fishing. So Charlie said, do you want a bit of fishing tonight, son? Oh, yeah, great. They get some tackle from Charlie's, buy some bait. And he's Charlie's directing Calvin where to go because he doesn't know the location. And they, they head down by the river. And on the way in, they pass a no entry sign. Calvin remarks on that. And Charlie says, don't, don't worry about it, you know. They park up, you know, they, they start fishing. In the first spot, they're, they're, you know, bitten to death by insects. So they move to an old pier. At the Shore Peter shipyard that's long since been closed, you know, fishing away. And then this Calvin said that these blue lights came from behind them and it went out across the water. And he thought, we shouldn't have ignored that. No entry sign, we're going to get arrested, you know, for trespassing, you know. So they turn around almost simultaneously. And of course, it's not the police, there's this football shape object we call a rugby ball shape descending two lights on one end it stopped a couple of feet above above the ground the light from it was dazzling and this opening appeared and the light was even more intense there they had to shield their eyes these three humanoid creatures literally floated out of, of this thing didn't walk or run across the ground uh two got hold of charlie one got hold of calvin and as scared as they were they felt instantly relaxed And they were taken towards this thing. As they went through the opening, Charlie to the right, Calvin to the left. And um, they were examined. This thing came down from the ceiling, went around Calvin. A similar thing happened to Charlie. But these big, ugly creatures, as Calvin described them, they were about five feet tall, thick neck, pointed protrusions out the side and one out the front. There it is. Long arms with like pincer-like appendages the legs didn't move at all was stuck together uh the, the the one stood next to him and then he, he felt this presence from behind martin and he for some reason he thought it's a woman and this other creature appeared and she was pretty much like you said was was female uh, apart from the middle fingers were a bit longer and she pushed calvin's jaw down and put his put the finger up his inside him uh They took his lower clothing off, shoes and socks. This is they stuck something in my foot and it hurt. And Mm. it was almost, he felt almost as if his blood was being drained out of him and replaced with something else. At some point, Calvin uh, managed to regain his composure and he could move and he got hold of this female and banged her head against the wall. At which point, she pointed to the ugly creature, got hold of Calvin, back out onto the pier. And the next thing he remembers is Charlie shouting at him, you know, are you all right? Are you all right? Are all right, son? They turn around, this thing disappears into the sky and he's gone. Now, to begin with, they weren't going to tell anyone um, because Calvin's about to get married. He thought, my, you know, my fiance's father won't let me marry her. Everything, am I right? nutcase?" So they set off home, but it was Charlie that had a change of heart. And he said, what if these things come back and do this to somebody else? You know? What if it's an invasion? Bear in mind, Charlie had served in the army and fought in Korea. So Calvin said, okay, on one condition, I'll say everything, I'll admit to everything apart from when we go on board. So when these creatures come out of this thing, I'm going to say I passed out and can't remember anything. But that wasn't true. and They agreed. They phoned Kiesler Air Force Base. They said, we're not interested. We're not in the UFO business ring the police. So they rang the police, they sent a squad car out, gave them a sobriety test and then escorted them into town. They were interviewed separately at Jackson County Sheriff's Department. Then they were both put in a room and the deputy he fiddled with something in the in the desk next to him. And he said, I'm just going to get some coffee guys. I'll be back in a minute. And then a few minutes later, he comes back opens the drawer again, takes something out. They had no idea what he was doing. And of course, it was a recording. And Sheriff Fred Diamond and the deputies thought, Well, have them now, you know, we've got this secret tape. And of course, on the tape, when they played it back, they weren't laughing and joking. You know, Calvin is crawling up the wall. And they're talking about what had happened to them. They were up but they were mesmerized by everything, but they 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 were talking about this opening. You see that opening son? How did that happen? Um, so the, the law enforcement changed their attitude with them to believe in them. But something had really terrified these two fellas. And off, off they went home. The sheriff said, we won't say anything. You know, we're not a word. The following morning, they got up to go to work. As soon as they get there, they're summoned to the boss's office. And he said, what the hell have you two been up to? You know, the phones won't stop ringing. We've got journalists outside. Somehow the story had got out, you know. They were then shipped off to the Singing River Hospital for an examination, which they, they, they passed okay. And then, rather ironic, they were taken to Keesler Air Force Base to be checked for radiation. Bearing in mind, the first place they phoned that night was Keesler. And they said, politely, but, you know, get lost. <laughs> so they were checked for radiation, which was zero. But the officers in charge said, come on, gents. Why are you here? Why don't you tell us what's happened? And they did. And, of course, the secret tape later came out, so we have a transcript of that in the new book. Um, At Keesler Air Force Base, there was no tape recording. It was a stenographer that recorded it. And we have that full transcript in the book, unredacted, so all the officers are there named. Everybody who was there was named. And the story, you know, literally went worldwide. Um, The following day, Dr. James Harder, Dr. J. Allen Hynek uh, appeared on scene, and um, after speaking with the gentleman, after after listening to the secret tape, uh, Hynek held a press conference and said these two guys are genuine. So they had a, you know, an experience period. Uh, Eventually, Calvin disappeared off back home because he didn't want anything to do with the media. Uh, He ended up in hospital. Finally, got married and um, but the trauma stayed with him for the rest of his life martin he, he he hated the fact that charlie was was the opposite charlie would appear on talk shows and conferences calvin didn't want him to say anything He's <laughs> that damn fool stopped talking you know <laughs> occasionally calvin would crop up but that was usually at charlie's insistence and 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 that is the story uh, up until you know 2018, that that was what we had, and that's them, uh, you know, photographed back in in, uh, 1973, and, you know, that's it for those, that's that's it in a nutshell, it's larger than that, but that's it in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, and that, uh, I don't know uh, how many other witnesses there were, but Irina, why don't you, uh, why don't we talk about the witnesses and your work in that?
2: Well, um, surprisingly enough, um, there were witnesses immediately on that day. That night, the um, the person in the sheriff's office that was taking phone calls said that there had been 50 call- around 50 calls from people reporting UFOs that night at the same time, and other people in the sheriff's office also reporting. So there were a lot of people that saw something at the same time as the abduction, which is really odd for an abduction, usually abductions are things that happen out off, you know, out in the boondocks where nobody knows anything. And there's one witness and things in this case, there's two. And a number of people had seen an object that was strange enough that they reported it. Mm. And, Unfortunately, those documents are uh, the hurricane Katrina took them, but Mm. we're just now finding um, other people that have seen something and we have to dig to find these people. They didn't just float up and start telling us for the main part. Um, One of the first ones was Maria and Jerry Blair and, um, we didn't find them. They, in a way, found us. Uh, there had been a recording of Calvin on YouTube, and somebody had written in and said, "Oh yeah, my mother saw, my parents saw that," and so Philip got in contact with them and found out her parents' names and things, and gave me the mother, the mother, the the names of the parents to call, and so this was the first person I called. Um, and um, I talked, first of all, to the husband, and he said something about, he heard a big splash, and then he said something about a a blimp, and then he gave the phone to his wife, Marie, and um, he was supposed to be a skeptic at that time and didn't want to talk about it. Well, Marie started talking about it, and what she said was that they were at the uh, land end of a, a pair, and the husband was going out with his supervisor on a boat to supply oil rigs or whatever. And um, so they were just, the supervisor was late. So they were just in the car waiting. She said that The husband went to sleep. She looked out over the Pasigoula River. They were on the opposite side of the river than Calvin and um, Charlie. And she said she saw this airplane. It was lit kind of funny, and it wasn't going anywhere. She said the pilot must be lost to just going around and around and around, but it didn't go anyplace. And she thought this was very, very strange because – it should go someplace and go over and go wherever it's going or something. This just sort of like it was lost or looking for something. So she watched that for a while. Then um, her husband decided to take his clothes to the boat. It was about 9 o'clock, apparently. He uh, walked out first along on the pier, and she was following him, and she said, as they were walking out there, something came out of the water. It looked just like a man and flopped up on the pier right in front of her. And I could tell just immediately that she was very, very, very emotional about it. Mm. So then she kept saying that it went back down, but it didn't come back for air. And she couldn't understand why it didn't come back up for air. So they walked down to, down to the boat. And then another strange thing was she didn't get back until 12 o'clock midnight and came back and walked. she said she was just really, really scared. So she ran down the pier and jumped in the car and left. Well, I had questions because, for one thing, she was really emotional about this thing that jumped up on the pier, but she didn't have any information about it. And just she kept, you could just tell she was wrought up about it. And also I wondered why what they were doing on the boat for three hours, which sounds kind of boring, sitting on a boat for three hours. But anyway. um, So we talked for about two years back and forth. And I was just I could sense, you know, she thought maybe something else happened, but she didn't know what it was. And her husband was a skeptic, so she couldn't discuss anything with him. Well, eventually, unfortunately, her husband got sick, and then he died. And just, um, he had been a skeptic all this time. So just before he went on a ventilator, he told her that they had been abducted. And this was news to her. She had this feeling that something was going on, but she didn't know what it was. And so he told her that they'd been abducted and in the um, object. And he remembered the uh, beings or whatever they were. Uh, and remember kind of in detail. Which if, if it was my husband, I would, I would, you know, first of all, wonder if. He was telling the truth or just appeasing me or something, but she t- seemed to totally believe him and uh, and she knew him, so I you know I'm sure he was telling the truth, but mm. she was unhappy <laughs> because that would be really, really scary because he seemed to have some he had had some communication with these things beforehand, and he was trying to protect her apparently and not tell her. So that was one reason why he was acting as a skeptic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually she underwent hypno- hypnosis and also remembered a little more. I don't, think, I don't know if she ever remembered being inside the object, but she remembered seeing it closely. And she had a lot of information from her husband, for example, he he referred to one of the beings as a doctor. And she didn't know exactly why he did that, but she thought there was some kind of a conflict or maybe maybe the thing had really examined him a lot more than he wanted to talk about or something. And after their reported abduction, uh, he saw the beings swimming back toward the... um, toward the pier where Calvin and Charlie were. I mean, they didn't know then that, you know, they were there. They just knew somebody was there, something was going on. But um, so maybe that's why she saw this thing flop up. She said that apparently when it flopped up, what she didn't remember was is that it sort of got control of her mind then and just controlled her mind and then left. And that was really... Why she was so emotional but she didn't know that then.
0: Gee.
2: We talked about for two years and she was trying to figure out why she was so emotional and that apparently was why. Well,
1: what, oh, is, what is interesting, Martin, and I view it again today and we'll comment on here, is that Mr Blair was in hospital and it was on the eve of me having a, a, an operation and weren't sure if it was going to survive. And uh, he insisted on speaking to me on the mobile phone and telling me. Wow. Yeah. And I'd spoken to them briefly before putting them in touch with Irina. And he said, I I, I lied, Philip. I lied. I did see it. And I did see the creatures, you know. And not only that, he made um, his wife Maria film it. And he's literally sat on his hospital bed got no top on so he's still got the electrode sticking to his chest it looks like he's had an ecg or something of that so he, i know it was a bit protracted with him um speaking to his wife maria and then maria to to um to irena but it was almost like a deathbed confession but it wasn't an an instantaneous one it carried on for for a period of time and um What Maria came—the conclusion she came to in the end—that that that, uh, whatever was going on that night, it was meant for her and her husband, and that Charlie and Calvin were like collateral damage, so to speak, because Maria and her husband were to be there that night. You know, it was something planned. You know, he was going out on the boat, whereas Charlie and Calvin had no plans. They just asked talked about this on the way home from work that night, you know? Yeah. So whether she's right or wrong, it, it, it doesn't really make any difference, but it's the way she tries to evaluate it, that whatever was happening was meant for them and not Charlie and Calvin. They just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know? And um, make of it what you will. I mean, Irina spoke to them a lot more than I did. We have a brief video clip of, of uh, Maria talking about this. Uh, and we have it on audio as well and we filmed the hypnosis so the hypnosis is is, is both audio and video uh, and it's professionally filmed and um it, 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 none of us expected this martin you know and she met she met calvin you know they became we became friends oh that's no, good yeah, yeah none of none of us expected anything like this you know right and and that's just the beginning of it it really is
0: well, you know, this is a really quite an amazing part that I was unaware of. And if you really think about it, if Calvin and Charlie did not go to the police station that night, we would have never heard about this incident.
1: Sim- similarly with Mr. and Mrs. Blair, it was the comment on YouTube. It, Calvin had made this little eight-minute news item and somebody put it on YouTube, and there was loads of comments, and there was just one comment, and it said, my mum and dad were on the opposite side of the river that night, and they too saw the UFO. But then this person added, but they weren't abducted. And it turned out that this young lady was actually Marianne and Jerry's youngest daughter. They have mm. two daughters. So even their daughters didn't know about what had happened. They knew they'd seen the lights and things like that, but that was it. Yeah. And... Again, had she not made that little comment, you know, had I not seen it, we we would never have known about them. Because people say, oh, these people want their 15 minutes of fame. That's why they're coming forward. Well, they didn't come forward. It was just a little thing that their daughter wrote that I happened to see and follow up on. And I learned a valuable lesson doing so was to always try and follow up on things like that. Oh, I agree.
0: Um, Yeah, Irene
1: Irene, uh, spoke to them texted them, you know, you know, we're kept in constant touch uh, and still are. We're still, we're still in touch with Maria today. I remember uh,
0: Kevin Day, who's known, you know, for, uh, you know, the Tic Tac incident 2004 off of the Pacific out by Catalina Island out there. Um, he commented on uh, something I did with Robert Powell about the Tic Tac incident And that, and so that's how he, someone connected to, he said, yeah, I was, I was there, you know, and you think at first, yeah, 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 whatever. But, you know, they followed the lead, Robert Powell followed the lead. And, uh, you know, Kevin Day has spoken a lot uh, about that situation. It is amazing how that connection can happen. And, uh, you know, one thing I, I, uh, I've mentioned about this, I don't know if I've mentioned it on this, show or just to people, but uh, after I first, well, first of all, I should just say my, my part in the whole thing, how, how it all happened that I connected with Galvin was and, and to give credit where it's due is Michael Lauk was writing blogs for me. And he wrote and my, since that time, my uh, UFO podcast UFO website was hacked. I lost 15, 1500 pages, but it was a really nice blog about the Pascagoula incident. And it was nice enough written, well-written, that Calvin actually contacted me. I didn't, you know, I got an email saying uh, that was very accurate and very well done on the Pascagoula incident, signed at the bottom, Calvin Parker. So I said, is this the Calvin Parker? And he said, yes. And I said, how would you feel about coming on a show? I know you haven't been on a show for years. And how would you feel about it? And we talked on the phone. And eventually I convinced him and I did a phone interview at the time with him. And it was wonderful, real fine gentleman. That's why I always felt about Calvin. But uh, so what happened uh, and you may know this story, Phil, Philip, I'm not sure, but what had happened was uh, it was quite some time after I got a email from someone that said, Hey, can I please have Alvin? I mean, Calvin's contact information. I never send anyone anyone's contact information. But what I do is I'll forward an email to that person. Well, it ended up being an estranged daughter. And they got back, they got together and had a wonderful time. Unfortunately, she passed away. But um, when I was out in Phoenix, Calvin was telling me about how much that meant in his life to get his daughter back into his life for the short time that, you know, she was there. So that made me feel, I mean, that was worth doing the, the podcast right there alone.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that, that was Kelvin for you and he actually enjoyed um speaking at the conferences in the end not 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 because he was the center of attraction he just loved meeting the people you know he was a people person. Oh yeah. And um you know it was he got a taste of it and he wanted to do more and of course you know he, he, the illness kicked in and he, he couldn't travel so um mm. you know we're fortunate. We, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Scott and I have, have um, been consultants on a new documentary with a, a UK company and that's all done. It's been edited as we speak. And we're, we're hoping I've seen the trailer for it. And if, if the documentary is as good as this trailer, I'll be very happy. Hopefully mm. that'll be out by the end of the year. We have no control over that. Of course. Yeah. And, um, you know, Calvin's in it, of course, and Wayne at, and, um, like the thing with Mr. and Mrs. Blair, every every word of that is in the book. The transcript of the hypnosis is in the book. I know it's a contentious subject, but it, Mrs. Blair wanted the hypnosis, not us. So we were able to facilitate that last year, film it, transcribe it. It's all in the book. Calvin's hypnosis he had last year. Again, we filmed it. It's in the book. Make of it what you will. And... and You know, as we're accumulating this information, Martin, there was certainly no thoughts between Irina and I of of any book. You know, we wrote articles about it and we thought, we can only write so many articles? This is not going to stop, you know. Yeah. You know, it just kept coming. And we did an interview a few weeks back. I'm not sure if if Irina was on it. And somebody said to me, how many witnesses are in the book? I thought, I don't know. I haven't counted them, you know. Now, I knew Irene said she's so far spoken to about 30 people. And I think that's that's fairly close. But there's about 40 witnesses in the book, you know. And that was the Blairs and a chap called Larry Boo that was right there in 1973. We've got some old footage of him, you know. And then a few more came out a few years later. And then there was... A chap called Mike Cataldo, ex-US Navy, he came out twenty years, twenty-eight years later, and told his story. And then when Calvin told his story, it's how we found others, and others came out of the woodwork, and so on. So we've, there's around about forty independent eyewitnesses in this book. Wow! Well, yeah, yeah.
0: Go right ahead. Would you mind holding up that, that book? Oh, I absolutely. Can, yeah,
1: you know. You're lucky I haven't got it cellar taped to my forehead, Martin.
0: <laughs> Beyond a there you go. You've got it.
1: You've got, it, you've got it in stereo. I, I know,
0: and I, I like goes. I like the little little tabs you have in the book there. Yeah, those, <laughs> are those are great. great. Um, you can
1: you can tell the scientists here, can't you? Yeah. Me with nothing stuck in it, and I really with all the tabs, knowing where to go to where. Idiot is, has to flick through it if I try and find something. You know. Well, I've, I've, I've got a question
0: for you. Uh, I don't, I don't know who wants to answer this. He, Irina, may, maybe you, you, since you've had more detailed conversations, but, uh, you know, this is what we think of when we think of what Charlie, uh, claims he saw. And I remember talking to Calvin, he didn't remember those appendages on the face like that. Um, and these, uh, for the audio listener, these will pictures will be in the show notes, but, um, How what I'm asking is the witnesses that underwent, you know, um, the therapy, the hypnotherapy, how did they describe the beings?
2: Well, he said, I think he said three of them were about six feet tall. But I don't remember. I don't remember anything about noses or ears on the ones he described, but maybe he just didn't get to it. Yeah,
1: it's, oh. it's it's one of the things we we intend to clarify when 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 the opportunity arises. Um, it's same with the description of the, the the object that Charlie and Calvin saw. Not not so much as what it looked like, but the size of it. Hmm. There was some discrepancies in that, and Calvin said, "Well, you know, the the light from this thing was so intense.
0: Yeah, I remember that. It was
1: yeah. it was hard to make out. We could make out the shape and, and whatever, but." To get a really detailed look at it, it was difficult because we had to shield our eyes. It was like a welder, you know, art, uh, yeah. art welding. And um, so, the, the, yes, there are discrepancies in, in in some of the accounts between them. However, you know, I think that adds to the veracity of it because if it were exactly the same, yeah, then you think it's like it's like me and you, Martin, we're standing at the side of a road and a bus goes past. Yeah. You and I would say it was a green bus. You know, I'd say there were fifteen people on it. You would say there were ten. But we've both seen the same thing. It's just the way things work. And um, well, as you know,
0: yeah, I'm I'm sorry, but as we go through, we're kind of running out of time here pretty soon. But as we go through, and hear people, multiple witnesses speak, I know you you can say the same thing. A lot of times, people actually don't see the same thing. They'll be standing right next to each other and yeah. both having a different, a different account, which yeah. seems to be almost the norm.
1: Yeah, well, we've got people, again, on the other side of the river saw the thing that night. Gentlemen driving across the bridge that night saw it. You know, people yeah. in and around the area saw it, you know. Um, and we put everything and anything we've we've accumulated in the book. And our argument is, we believe that beyond reasonable doubt, if we took this to court, we could prove something really extraordinary happened that night. Cannot, mm. of course, prove they were abducted by aliens. But that wasn't our original title for the book. I mean, I, I, I think I was watching a courtroom drama one night and it, I heard that phrase and I emailed Irina and, uh, and said, "What?" Well, but there, there is more information out there. And the reason we know this, Martin, is because just in, in August a lady by the name of Chelsea Norton Prince, who runs the uh, Ocean Springs Historical Society, contacted us. She had an interest in the case, and a member of their society had two boxes of letters that once belonged to Charles Hickson. Oh. All in plastic containers, yeah. Her mum and dad had bought Charlie's house when he died in 2011, and these and other stuff were part of it. She gave some of the other stuff away, some years back, but she still had this. And Chelsea, God bless her, has um, digitized all of this, and I have it all here on a thumb drive. And while there's no smoking guns, there's interesting little bits and pieces. There's sketches of the UFO by Charlie himself in pencil, you know.
0: That's wonderful.
1: Uh, Never published. Um, There is a letter. I think it's going to hold up, up, up the UFO. All right, you got it. Up. Yeah, that's it. That's it.
0: Okay, kind please. of turn it a little bit. There you go. And uh, are you able to send me a picture of that so I can put it in the of course, show notes I'll I'll for the uh, for the audio yeah. people, please? Yeah. yeah.
1: And of course, there's there's actually a letter in it from a NASA physicist, and he says I asked NASA to investigate this case when it happened in 1973, huh. and they declined. They were not interested. Sure. So we've written a small piece about that and that's just made the newspapers today because of the NASA hearings just a few days ago, of course. Yeah. Which, which told us nothing that we didn't already know, but, th- but that, that's besides the point, you know? Yeah. So, so and I, checked, <coughs> I checked this gentleman out. He was a, a genuine NASA physicist and they turned it down. They missed the boat.
0: Wow. You know? Wow. Now we're, we're, we have to kind of wrap the show, but real quickly, uh, this is Calvin Parker, the great old Calvin Parker. I will certainly miss him, but I want you to take note of the hat. And uh, Philip, if you would, hang on just a second here. There, there you go. go. That's the hat, the hat. Now, tell, tell quickly, tell the story. I know we're running out of time, but uh, that's a signed yeah. hat from Calvin. But I'll just tell it real quickly because we out, we are out of time, and that is. Uh, uh, Calvin did a talk somewhere and someone came up and offered him $200 for the hat. And he laughed and he said, you can buy this hat down the road for 20 bucks. And he said, yeah, but it's not your hat. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: You know, And I wouldn't part with it for anything,
0: Martin. That's, that's all right. We will never see that on eBay. Thank you all so much. Uh, it's You're been a real pleasure. And, uh, uh, we will definitely miss the great one and only Calvin Parker.
1: Thank you, Martin. Thank you very much.
0: All right. Take care of both you. of you. All right. All right. So we'll be back next week with Jim Quirk. Jim Quirk is a uh, a guy that started podcasting on UFOs. He has a great sense of humor and he really does look for the a lot of the facts and uh, he has a lot of interest in this topic. So that's when we'll be back. Thank you all. And remember to keep your eyes to the sky.